This is Professional Life Crisis. I'm your host, Amanda. And by now, I'm a damn near professional at having a life crisis. Coming from the girl who bought a corporate-sized whiteboard, like legitimately the size they have on the wall in your office, to map out all her future career options, I know what an emotional roller coaster your early career can be. And I don't even like roller coasters. This podcast is here to help you get through those messy, uncertain times riddled with ramen noodles and self-doubt. If you're an ambitious, curious young professional trying to pave your way in the world, it's not as scary as I once thought it was but I really wish I'd had someone to tell me that. David, thank you so much for joining as the first guest on the new podcast, Professional Life Crisis. As the name implies, we're going to be talking all about your career journey and your professional life crisis. And truly, who better to kick this off than a professional with a very unique story such as yours? We met while I was running marketing at Poised, and you actually came on as one of our content creator partners, which was such an awesome way to meet. (laughs) But content creation is not all that you do. So I can't wait to get into the conversation and find out a bit more about your professional journey. How does that sound? Are you ready? Yes, let's, let's kick it off. So who is David Rolls? What do you want to be known for out in the world? Yeah, well, in terms of what I do, in a nutshell... At the moment, I'm basically uh, a business development coach and mentor to recruiters. I do do a little bit outside of recruitment as well because salespeople, BD uh, people at you know tech companies need some help, and it's all very much the same same sort of stuff. But that's very much what I do in a nutshell. I also do you know content creation, so I create a lot of content on LinkedIn, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, and I also run a podcast as well, which we've just recorded an episode with yourself, so you know that. So yeah, that's sort of what I do in a nutshell. I'm a BD consultant slash podcaster slash content creator. Yeah. And thanks so much for having me on. We we had a lot of fun. So what is the main problem that your business coaching is aiming to solve? Yeah, good question. So the main reason people work with me is because I can solve, help you solve any type of like business development problem you've got. Like I'll essentially come in and, and diagnose why you're struggling to win new clients, book new meetings in the channels that you're working in, the market you're working in. But most people within the recruitment world, the reason they would want to work with me usually or primarily, I should say, is because I help uh, recruitment agencies transition over from the contingent model to a, a retained model. Now, let me explain what that means because a lot of people are probably thinking, what on earth does that mean? I was just going to ask. I'm not sure everyone will know the difference. Yeah, so, so basically, how recruitment works at the moment. So most people have had an interaction with a recruiter before, right? either as a candidate or as a hiring manager. So most people have got this small understanding of, or basic understanding of how it all works. But from a recruiter's perspective, so from how recruiters get paid, that's the easiest way to sort of come at this with, is... A client will go to a recruiter, go to a recruitment agency, say, go find me this person, fill this job, right? The recruiter may or may not fill that job because they're up against the internal recruiter and they're up against, you know, three, four, five, six other agencies, whatever. So there's quite a small chance they're actually going to fill it. But basically, let's say two months later, they fill the role. They will get paid, but then there's still a chance that they might not get paid because if the candidate leaves within a certain amount of time, put it this way, say a recruiter starts working on a role, takes them six weeks to work the role. It takes the candidate four weeks to start the role. 
and the candidate leaves six weeks after starting the job. So you've got six weeks, four weeks, six weeks. So what is that? 16 weeks. It's like four months. Yeah. Right. Something like that. But they've done all that work and they might end up with barely getting paid at all. Is that because there's a lag in when the recruiter actually fills the role and when they get paid? Yes. Yeah, so, so basically the contingent model is you get paid after you've delivered and there's no like upfront fee or anything. And recruitment is like one of the only industries to still do this. Like if you hire a builder, they're going to ask for some sort of down payment, right? Because they don't want to start work, work on the house for ages. And then you say, actually, I don't want this house anymore. It's like, okay, well, I've already done a job. So, you know, there's, there's only a couple of industries that, that do that. Um, and recruitment is one of them. Basically, the retain model. So most people, when they hear the word retainer, they usually think of lawyers, like suits the show. You know, it's becoming like, very uh, popular again now that it's just gotten on Netflix. Yeah, I love Suits. It's such an awesome show. But that's basically how most people think about it. Essentially, the retain model and recruitment is how it usually works is you get paid part of the fee up front to start the search. And that way, if the client was to like waste your time and pull the role or decide they don't want to hire or whatever, that three, four, five weeks of work you've done isn't essentially going to be free. Like you're going to get paid for something. So that's basically how it works. Contingent is right. you get paid after you fill the role, but if your time is wasted, it's wasted and there's nothing you can do about it. Retained is basically you get paid something up front, but if the client wastes your time or whatever circumstance happen, you get paid something. That makes sense. And it's a little bit of a fail safe so that you don't just work for free if you don't deliver great results. I also have a, another common question that I think people have around working with recruiters. So can you talk a little bit about what the difference is between an internal recruiter that works for a company to bring candidates in, and then an external recruiter that works to place candidates at companies? Yeah, it's, it's a really good a question. And if there's a better, fancier <laughs> name for that, let me know. Yeah, it's, it's, it's funny. funny you say that, because um, when I started on TikTok, which is obviously like how we met, um, creating content for recruiters and then posting stuff about recruitment, you obviously get a lot of candidates. So I had a lot of tech, like software engineers and data scientists, anyone who worked in tech, they would say their frustrations, should I say, about the recruitment industry and their experience with recruiters <laughs> to me. But there is also, that there's a massive confusion over what a recruiter is. There's different types of recruiters. Yeah. I can break them down on a further level if you prefer. I would love for you to break it down because I, I think... It's hard to understand if no one has ever explained to you that there's a difference. So basically, there's different like silos. So there's agency recruiters and there's internal or corporate recruiters, or you might call them talent acquisition mm. managers. So basically, an internal recruiter will work directly for a brand. So if I was the internal recruiter at Tesla, I would just hire for Tesla. So I'd have my remit of, say, a specific department. Obviously, this would change depending on the type of you know, the size of the the company as well. So if it's like a five person startup, then I do all the recruitment probably. I'm only representing one brand and all I, all I do is I just fill these roles. And one of the key differences as well is that it's not commission. You're just paid a salary like anyone else. So you're paid a salary to do your job. There might be like bonuses involved. Yeah, you might have like, like in any job, you might have like a performance bonus. So you, if you fill 15 roles this quarter, then you get paid an extra money. But that's really key because the the behavior is very different because you're not getting paid per placement, right? Your ability to pay the rent isn't dictated by 
whether or not that person accepts the job, right? So emotion goes right. out of it a, a lot, and mm. it's a it's a very different job because of that. But also internal recruiters, depending on the type of internal recruiter they are, sourcing talent. So you might pretty much just spend your time finding these people, having conversations with them, and then pushing them through the funnel. But you could also be an internal recruiter slash talent acquisition manager. They're called internal recruiters, but actually their job is, is far more complex. And this role has evolved quite a lot over the last six, seven years. Um, there was a joke within recruitment, especially on the agency front, about when I started like six, seven years ago, whereas internal recruiters were basically like failed agency recruiters because mm. nobody could understand why you'd go do internal recruitment because there wasn't a lot of money in it. Like it was okay money, but you could earn it was not yeah, ex- mm. exactly. And sometimes, you know, you could work with an agency and get the same basic salary as an internal recruiter, but the internal recruiter doesn't get the commission. But actually, that's mm-hmm. changed enormously over the last six or seven years. Like salaries of internal recruitment and TA have, have gone up massively, um, perhaps too much. And this is why there were so many layoffs of the last 18 months in due to COVID and stuff, because people realized they were paying extortionate amounts of money. But people realized basically that they could pay their internal recruiters a good salary and then attract really good recruiters from agencies. So, for example, um, let me break this down for in, in money terms. So TAs, internal recruiters used to get paid, say, $50,000, right, a year. But then what's happened now is a lot of them are getting paid, say, $100,000 a year. And because they're getting paid that and they can get that on a salary and they were earning, say, 110, but working a lot more in agency, a lot of them are moved over to internal role. So they can just get $100,000 working a lot less, a lot, lot less mm. stress. Right. Um, right. It's not as commission-based or not at all commission-based. Yeah. Like, if I said to you, you know, here's two jobs. One of them, you work 15 more hours a week and it's more stressful, and but you earn 110000 or... You've got this one where you guarantee you get a hundred thousand, and it's you know it's a lot less. Oh yeah, less work. and coast—that's <laughs> a sure thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so you probably you probably want to do that. So a lot of people, a lot of people have, which means the internal recruiter and inter- talent acquisition role has now attracted really good recruiters. So that whole joke about mm. you know, them being failed recruiters has completely gone now because actually a lot of very very good recruiters are doing that job, and they're getting have paid gone very- for more financial security, right, and a little bit easier lifestyle. Interesting. And did they yeah. take with them their networks of potential candidates? You know, when they moved to an internal company, you'd have to think some of the candidates that they were representing before might be good fits for the company that they're now representing. So maybe they've got a pool of candidates to sort of start working with rather than coming in cold. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. This is a thing as well. Like a lot of them do that. Um, I mean, LinkedIn, you know, you're connected with those people and you can then access them. So a lot of people get hired on the, on that basis. I do know yeah. a lot of, I, I do know a few actually who have uh, told the employer that they had a large yeah. network of a software engineer or something and they didn't, they just lied. Um, mm. But they got the job based on, on the fact that they, they thought they had that network on LinkedIn or whatever. So, right. Right. Um, Cause that makes yeah, them more valuable to the company. Yeah, of course, you know, the, the network's everything. So that's basically internal recruitment. And then agency recruitment, basically, the way it works is, so there's different there's different sections. You'll have uh, delivery consultants or sources. All they do is look for talent. 
so they would they would find the candidates, they would call the candidates and manage the candidate throughout the interview process sometimes and sometimes not. And then you've got 360 recruiters, which is what I did. You do the entire life cycle. So it's almost like you're self-employed. So you would do everything mm. from like, here's a laptop, here's a phone, go find some business, go find some candidates, generate some revenue. You do everything. You, you you do everything from finding the candidates to finding the clients to managing the account to providing customer service. The entire life cycle and three sixty recruiters are a lot Sounds rarer. <laughs> yeah, it's um. Well, you're you're, you're basically combining. So, so when people say recruiter, they think someone who goes and finds talent, right? That's what people think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And this is why I have to be careful with my wording sometimes because when I say recruiter, I'm thinking almost like a business development executive combined yeah so interesting yeah and is that the kind of coaching that you're doing in your business it's working with agency recruiters or it's working with people who are internal yes so um i mainly focus on the agency side of things i'm more on the business development side so i will help recruiters 360 recruiters go win new business because it generally winning new good quality business is harder than finding the talent in 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 most markets so because recruiters the it's a bit of a weird obviously you've worked in tech sales and you know in in consulting and stuff but the way tech sales for example tech sales sdrs and bdr team sales teams are trained i don't really know why but they tend to be so far ahead of the curve in terms of like the new techniques and 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 strategies and stuff than recruitment is recruitment is always like five years behind so Mm. You yeah. meet a recruiter who's like a, a business development executive in, in recruitment. And because it's a very different sell, you're not selling a product, you're usually selling a person. The way the industry is, it's very backwards and, and old school. So a lot of a lot of agencies really struggle with bringing on new business. And that's that's mainly what I do. I work with work with their teams or the you know directors with their strategy. That's awesome. I feel like since you painted the picture of how much of a beast being a 360 recruiter is um, to know that that's the kind of work that you're supporting in your business. I'm sure there's a lot of value that you provide there. So that's super, super cool. But that was not always sort of the the thing you were doing. You weren't always in this coaching and, and mentoring business. So I'm curious to hear a little bit more about your journey before this. Tell me the story of, of your professional life crisis. When we were on the phone the other day, you were telling me uh, a bit about your story and I would just love to dig into it a bit more. Yeah, sure. So, um, I mean, it makes sort of sense to go all the way back, actually. So I didn't know what I wanted to do when I left school. Who does? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> They're faking it. I, yeah. So the way it works in the UK for your US listeners is the laws actually changed. But when I was at school, you could finish school at 16 and go to right. a college, like a little like community college sort of thing. That um, would be like um, almost like an associate's program, which is like a two-year program. It's a little bit more introductory, but it's in one specific area of study, right? Yeah, so, so basically you can you can stay in your school and do something called sixth form, which is like you're there another two years in the school, you've just, your high school basically. But obviously naturally a lot of people are so sick of high school at that point, they just want to get out. And that's what I was. And also as well, you've got to remember that in our schools that like, you have to wear uniform and it's all very strict and formal and going to college, you're, you're right. actually treated like an adult. So you can wear your own clothes and everything. It's crazy. But um, it's yeah. amazing what a bit of independence <laughs> and treating someone like an adult will do for their, you know, motivation and self-confidence. Do you know what? It's really sad, like how excited we were to like wear our own clothes. <laughs> 
I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, it's like an act of rebellion almost, like finally a bit of freedom. It's weird because uh, we used to watch like American TV and we would see all the high schools wearing their own clothes. And it was always like, wow. So, so basically I went to college, I chose mechanics because my friend was doing it. And um, that's not, probably not the best reason to choose your career around. He dropped out like the <laughs> day after anyway, but I was on this mechanics course and I was in it for like two hours and I realized it wasn't for me because it was just, yeah, it was just horrendous. Even the teacher, like the first thing he said to us was, um, if you're here to make money, like don't do this course. And I was like, right, okay. So I ended up doing like, um, like sports science. I was going to go into personal training and physiotherapy and like nutrition. I did college. I was going to go to university um, decided not to because you didn't really need to do it in nutrition and personal training. Um, but then, then I ended up like, I just sort of like most people and you got to remember as well, like the recession was what, 2008, 2009. And then I kicked on to 2010, 2011, 2012. So I was that generation and it was so hard to find a good job, like a good starter job without a degree. Um, So I ended up getting into Mm. sales like most people do. Um, I worked in a telesales job and I was calling people I was making like $200 a day selling electrical wiring insurance and also broadband, which was a terrible broadband. Well, I bet and- at that time you would have loved if an AI could cold call for you, which we just discussed uh, yeah. on your podcast. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just yeah. make those 200 <laughs> calls in the day. You could, you know, go take a lunch break, take a walk. Well, I was so bad at sales and I honestly think AI even then could have done a better job than me, to be honest. So it was, um, <laughs> yeah, it was awful. What did you find so um, disheartening about sales or, or what do you think made it so that you, you didn't find a good fit with that? Yeah, good question, actually, because I, it's what I thought sales was. So people only know, mm. like, if, if I said to you, like, you know, this is marketing and then your first job in marketing is absolutely horrendous or it's classed as a marketing job, but it's actually like the most boring part of marketing and that's what you do all day. You probably then think, you know, marketing's rubbish. I don't do this. You know, so many people have done telesales jobs. You know, it's, it's one of the most, most people have done some sort of telesales job, just earn money during uni or whatever. You're speaking to like just consumers who don't want to speak to you. You're calling them at home. So it's not like B2B, it's, it's B2C. And you're calling them about something that really they're not that interested in. It's not a very interesting product. You don't believe in the product. And it was just like soul sucking, to be honest. And also the environment as well that I was in, it was, to paint you a picture, it was like 150 people who were like my age at the time. So 18 to 21 year olds who don't really want to be there and are only doing it to get some money to go out drinking on the weekend. So no one really cared about their job. There was no career progression. There was nowhere to go. I'm sure that wasn't very motivating. Yeah. And it was a type of job where everyone's on a temporary contract. So you can get fired at any time and people did leave every week. Like if they used to hire 20 people, you know, five would quit in the first day. Another five would quit the first month. They'd fire the ne- next five and then they'd hire another 20 people. So it's just one of those types of environments. Yeah. Um, it was, uh, I just really didn't enjoy it. Like if you were like, have any sort of ambition you do not want to be there more than like six months so right i went there for nine months and that was my perception of sales i hate it i had such a bad experience actually that i i remember quitting the job to try be a self-employed nutritionist which didn't work out very well and 
I was searching for a job online on the job boards and stuff. And I remember unclicking the sales button and I was like, customer service, <laughs> anything about that. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. I was applying for some marketing jobs because it just sounded cool. It sounded interesting and creative. And, um, I was just going after anything that wasn't sales. That's how much I hated it. And that was for about a year. So, and it's I'm funny so as well. I'm so glad that you, that you say that because I think a lot of people go through that experience where they have their first job or it's their first job in a certain field and it's painted this picture to be something that it winds up not being at all. Mm. And I think the danger is feeling like that experience that you had is what all sales is like. And that, you know, any sales job is doomed and like, it's not for me. But I think so many people get that bad taste in their mouth. I certainly did. I didn't have the best experience when I started in consulting. And I wish it didn't taint my entire sort of picture of of consulting. But to be honest, it, it did. And I'm just, I feel like very validated hearing you say that. And I, I'm sure other people will, will relate to that as well. So thanks. Thanks for sharing that. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's, I think it's also like... <laughs> It depends what level you go in at as well, right? Sales is a bit is a bit different because there isn't really like any sort of qualification that's gonna make you more employable as a salesperson. Like you you can get a better first job in sales just because you do have a degree, because that's just the way the world works. But the first job you get in any industry, a lot of the time, you know, whether it's recruitment, sales, marketing, whatever a lot of the times it is a bit crappy because it's your first job. You don't have any experience. Why would why would someone good hire? You know, you'd have to be quite lucky to end up in a good place. So you just have to do your research around what that job actually is. Yes. That's part of my mission on this podcast is to help people understand what different jobs are actually like in the day-to-day, especially someone who's coming in at the entry level. You really don't know much about a job based on the job description. Usually they're not incredibly accurate or tied to your real experiences every day in the role. And um, yeah, I think hearing from real people who work at that company in a similar role is the way that you can find out as close as possible to what your experience is going to be. But yeah, basically, so... Um, I fell out of love for sales and then did a few like temporary jobs for like a year, customer service, loads of random stuff, admin, just trying to figure out my life. Um, Wolf Wall Street came out and this is super like Mm. cliche, but it came out and I watched the movie and I absolutely loved it. And even though it glamorizes like the bad side of sales or the manipulative side of sales, you know, the very 80s, 90s side of sales it absolutely like reinvigorated my interest in it because I was like, well, even though what they're doing in the movie is not too far off what I was doing because they were very much like boiler room environment, making 150 calls a day. I was like, oh, you can actually make a lot of money in sales. Like I'll do the rubbish work for a lot of money. You know, I haven't got a degree. Like I, I, I didn't come from a rich family. So I was like, you were willing to put in the work and they made it sound so sexy. What industry can you go in with no degree, basically no experience, bad school results, mm. and earn more than a doctor, earn more than a surgeon? There's not many industries that do that, right? The barrier is so low, and the income can be wow. ridiculous. So 
Yeah. I ended up speaking to a few people who were doing it for like better companies, like tech companies and that sort of thing. And yeah, I just got really, got really interested in it. So I did a few more sales jobs, but then I decided around the same time I wanted to go traveling. So I really wanted to go backpacking. So all I did for a year was just save to go backpacking. Finally managed to do it. I went to Southeast Asia on my own and just backpacked around Southeast Asia for three months, which was really cool. Oh, um, we could talk and... about that forever. And you know what's so interesting? So as this will probably come as no surprise to you, Americans have such an unhealthy relationship with work that when I met people in Southeast Asia who were traveling from the UK, I felt like their mentality around work was so different and a lot healthier. They would be taking a year off, you know, doing a gap year after high school or college, university, um, or they would be traveling for eight months because they worked for a job, they saved up, and this is what they wanted to do. And I was like, wow, I'm gone for three weeks and I feel like I have to get back to my life. It really opened up a little bit of a new perspective for me meeting so many people from the UK in my travels as well. Very cliche of you to do that. <laughs> yeah. It's well, the thing is, as well, we, um, like you guys, all the Americans I met, I, it, it never, it never fails to shock me how little annual leave you guys get. Yeah, it's, definitely. It depends on where you work, but it's mostly like 20 days, maybe 30 if you're lucky with holidays. Well, when, so I was looking to move to America uh, a few years ago, and I remember I was looking at, um, LA, and mm. I think, the common i think it's it's probably come a long way since then like the last seven years or so but i remember even then it was like 10 paid days a year some companies are yeah they're really stingy i just i find that obscene because in the uk the legal minimum is 20 plus eight bank holidays so you get 28 days as a minimum but nobody offers that because nobody would take the job so actually it's 25 plus eight and um some companies now offer unlimited paid holiday, so you can take as much as you want within reasons. Yeah. And I've found that a lot more like tech companies are heading that way towards the unlimited PTO. Um, and I think there's some pluses and minuses with that, and people don't always take as much as they should. But yeah, it's it's um, a really ingrained cultural thing um, about being American. But anyway, you were talking about your travels, and maybe that was a chance for you to kind of like reset or like reflect about what was coming next. Yeah, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, to be honest with you. Like, I uh, I just spent like a year in sales and I was getting really into it. The, the key thing for me, the turning point for me in sales was actually trying to get good at it. And mm. because a lot of people think, especially when you get into sales, it, it's just uh, you pick up the phone and you speak to people. And as long as you can speak to people, you'll eventually make a sale sort of thing. But it's the art of human communication and human communication is incredibly complex and you're always learning and you'll never master it. But you can become very good and those who become very good, you know, can make a lot of money, whether it's in consulting, coaching, actual selling, you know, whatever. But that's what I found fascinating about it. The more I delved into it, the more I realized how deep it was. And it's one of those, like I said, it's an industry where the barrier to entry is so low because you don't have to do a degree to get into it. But the learning starts on the job. And those who like excel at it, they probably do as much reading and learning and researching or studying as someone who goes and does a degree. Like the amount of sales books and psychology books and whatever I've read over the years, it's it's probably about the same of doing a degree anyway. So that's the difference with it. But 
yeah, basically I went traveling and I came back. So imagine me, I've got, I've got a lovely tan. I've got my backpack on. I've just spent the last three months drinking beer every single day. <laughs> and my only, my only worries for three months was where am I having breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Where are we going out tonight? And do I need to rebook my hostel or go stay at another hostel? Right. It was a very different way of life. Very strange. I actually remember landing and a couple of days in, I was like, I don't have a job. I don't work anymore. I don't work. Like, I don't have a job. It's so weird. I, like, I can <laughs> do whatever I want as long as I don't overspend my bank account. Yeah. Yeah. Like your, your priorities just shift when like cavemen were around. That's what they were thinking. You know, that's what, that's what we as a species was thinking, you know, a few thousand years ago, whatever, you know, where is my next meal coming from? So they start forgetting about everything else. You don't have to worry about paying right. your bills, but you just need to focus on where am I getting my next meal? Where survival. am I sleeping? etc. Right. Although I'm sure survival looks quite different for them as compared to, you know, 20, 21 year old traveler in, in Southeast Asia, bumming on the beach and all that. But yeah, I can totally relate to that. I also did some traveling. I was on a sabbatical. Um, so I wasn't completely unemployed, but I also knew I wasn't going to go back. So I had a bit of that mindset too. I was like, yeah, my job is just to like decompress right now. It's to go and find out some things about myself. It's to relax. It's to hang out. It's to go diving. It's to go exploring, drinking. That was the best. It was the best. Okay. So you traveled, you came back and you're like, now what? Yeah. So it's funny because when I was working at that really awful telesales job, I actually had a call from a very well-known recruitment company. And I, I vividly remember taking the call. So I just started looking for a new job and they called me up and they were like, oh, would you be interested in, in a recruitment job? And I was like, recruitment? Isn't that like human resources? I was like, no, I'm not interested in that. Sounds so boring. But I remember them telling me as well, like, how much I could earn. And it actually wasn't like a lot of money. It was just a lot of money to me then. Like I was on at the time, like I said, like basically minimum wage. So say 18,000. And if I made my sales, I probably made 20,000, which was okay for me because I was living with my mom. But, you know, if I had rent to pay, I would have been scraping by. And I think he said you could earn up to 40,000 in your first year. And I was like, I actually said, I, this is a scam. And there's absolutely no way. I, I was like, there's no way I'd be able to earn that type of money. That's ludicrous. So I just didn't believe him. And he was like, yeah, you can. Like, you're realistic. And I was just like, yeah, whatever, mate. Like, good one. And I hung up on the, hung up the phone. So anyway, fast forward four years. And I was, I was looking for any job because I wasn't sure if I wanted to go packing again or if I wanted to, you know, start my career. because. To be honest with you, when I was backpacking, as much as I enjoyed it, I definitely felt like I lost purpose. And I realized during my trip that I I love traveling. It's all I do. It's what I live for. But I definitely need some sort of purpose and I definitely need something else. I could never be one of those people that some of my friends were traveling for like a year and all they, they, they had no care, no um, plans to end their journey. Whereas I was like, this is great. I, I remember sitting like on a beach in uh, Thailand. I think it was like Koh Lanta, maybe. But it's like um, yeah. it's beautiful, right? You've been to Thailand, and yeah, you've got like amazing beach, perfect blue sky, beer, perfect sand, and then you've got these amazing like islands that you're looking at. And I was sat there, and I was just like, I'm so bored. I wish I had some work to do. Like I wish I was earning some money. I, I, I'm happy to do this. Mm. 
But I also want yeah. But this can't be your full purpose. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. I also was like amazed at how many people I met out there who were traveling for eight months or a year. For me, I also don't think that I could ever do that long. Like I, I also need something to keep me going. I need, you know, mental stimulation. And then I love to relax and I love to go explore. But for a set period of time. Yeah, exactly. So... I I sort of realized that I was like, I definitely want to keep traveling. I love traveling, but I need to figure out a way to earn the money, but also be able to travel as well. Right. Basically have my cake and eat it. Anyway, I was about to go get a sales job at a a mobile phone store called Vodafone. And it would have been a good job to be fair, but this recruitment job came up. So basically it was this little ad and it was like, I think it just said like recruiter or something. It was very basic. And I I just applied to it, applied to like 15 other jobs. And it was this guy uh, who just come over from Spain. He was actually an estate agent, no recruitment experience at all. But he was like, oh, I've just set up my business. I've got a little two-man office space. So it's literally a desk, me, him, in this tiny little office in this um, shared office building. And he was like, yeah, I don't really know what I'm doing, but I need someone to come help me on like the the sourcing side. So I need someone to help me with the delivery. So I'll do the business development and you did delivery. And I was like, okay, I don't really understand what this is, but he was paying me a good amount of money for a very little amount of work. And he said I could work from home as well. And this was four years, five years before COVID. Yeah. Yeah. That was hard to come by. Yeah. It was, it was, I never had it before. It was incredible. I was like, sorry. So I can wake up and call people in my boxes from my sofa at nine o'clock in the morning. and, and, (laughs) <laughs> and yeah i was like this is amazing like i would just walk downstairs so, yeah so i ended up taking that over the actual better job because it was work from home and i did that for a bit i was there for about eight months and basically what happened was i ended up uh relocating to wales with my friend um i moved to cardiff and i when i moved there i ended up getting a job at uh an established recruitment agency should i put it politely right you know, one that's been going 20 years and stuff. So I, I got my job there, got really good training, but unfortunately, you know, Brexit, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. So during Brexit, like Brexit was just announced in January, 2016. And I was doing accounts and finance recruitment and accounts and finance people are the first ones to, to go. And they're the first ones mm. people stop hiring for when there's a recession and whatever. So I'd moved into a recruitment market in like one of the most most markets I could do. And that is impossible to win business. So I sort of struggled along for like seven, eight months. Then I got into tech recruitment and that's where that's where things sort of took off for me. So I basically did to summarize, when I went into tech recruitment, I changed the job a couple of times, but I did that for just over six years, uh, mainly recruiting for tech startups in the software engineering teams, worked my way up um, to a hands-on manager role, which means basically I was still generating revenue and recruiting, but I was also managing a small team, um, set up an office in London as well for a, for a tech startup company. And yeah, basically did that for, for, for six years. So what happened last year, I, I came to sort of like a crossroads and I was like, I'm not happy with the reputation of the recruitment industry. It's got, a re- it's got a bad reputation globally, and I've come to realize that. I thought maybe it was just the UK, but it is actually a global thing. Yeah, I would say that's a, a shared sentiment. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So everyone's had a, had contact with a recruiter in some way, shape, or form. 
And because there's so many recruiters and there's so many reasons to speak to a recruiter, the low barrier to entry, which means there's a lot of recruiters that don't really know what they're doing, even with the best intentions. A lot of people have had bad experiences with recruiters, right? And I hate that. And I still hate it now, but I was trying to decide what I could do about that. Because I love the recruitment industry. Like, it's incredibly important. We've seen that during COVID. Like, people who laid off their recruiters uh, realized actually, no, their intent, like, recruitment's really hard. It's really, really hard. Like, even Google was struggling to find talent. So, without these people with these skill sets and the ability to, communicate with other humans effectively and you know influence and persuade um your business can't grow and your business can fail right so thankfully over the last couple of years recruitment sort of got a bit of respect sprinkled in its name again but the the actual industry is is bad like you you go to someone in the uh, barbecue and you say i'm a recruiter and they sort of cringe and go oh no are you really and then you have to sort of explain right. what that is but it's not in a good place and I had a decision. I could either set up my own agency, so set up my own business, I'd still be a recruiter, grow a team, lead by example, create a nice working environment, or I could go into the the consulting and content creation route. And I, I've done that over the last year because I felt like that was a way for me to have a far bigger impact on the industry. Like I 100%. can, I can educate, I can consult, I can help, but I can also do stuff like promote the industry like this i can talk about you know the positives of, of the industry and why people should do it um and then the people that i can not to everybody that's a recruiter is awful <laughs> yeah exactly exactly and, and and helping to change the um the, the face of it and the reputation the of stigma. it but there also needs to be a lot of education done around it as well like one of the reasons there's a reason it's got a bad reputation because a lot of people don't know what they're doing but there's also not a lot of people who are in a position where they can help that because there's a lack of good training and recruitment and sales generally. Anyone who's a good recruitment trainer usually isn't freelance. There isn't that many good freelance recruitment trainers because they get offered a permanent job. So an agency's like a big agency yeah. will be like, Oh, you're good. Um, you know, we'll just hire you on a big salary, but then only they are benefiting. Yeah. And what about the other hundred thousand agencies? So. Yeah. So this is a great way for you to like really expand your impact and have a bigger reach. And that's awesome. Yeah, exactly. There's a few people doing similar thing to me. And I think it's great because recruitment is, it's slowly becoming an industry where people actually seek out becoming a recruiter. I've met a few people this year who were mm-hmm. like, oh, I want to become a recruiter because I had this good money because you get all these transferable skills, which then will help you in the future. And also, you know, like grads, for example, getting into sales or recruitment is fantastic because even if you like go on to become an architect or a software engineer or, or whatever, you having that, that ability to sell and persuade and also just understanding how recruitment works like as a recruiter, when you're trying to find a job in a different industry, you can like you can work the system. You know you know how the cogs work. And finding a job is hard. Yeah. Like so many people are out of work. But if they knew how to recruit themselves, of course that would massively help themselves like help them find a job for themselves. Yeah. It's like a, a double edged sword. That's really interesting. Additional benefit that you mentioned. So we've talked about 
your journey through sort of a winding career path, getting into tech, and then forming your own consultancy so that you can impact more people in the industry, shape the views to be more positive around recruiting. And that's an awesome thing to say that you've done. That's really cool. So in looking back on your own journey now, what's the most helpful thing that you did or you learned in the field of recruiting that you could pass on to someone else if they were sort of in your shoes six years ago looking to get into the space? Yeah, it's... I've got a million things that come to mind um, initially, but for me, I think one of the main things I always tell people like trainees is you need to be patient with yourself, first of all, because a lot of people go into recruitment not really understanding what it actually is. And a lot of people go into it with a perception that's actually quite straightforward and easy. Like you just go and find CVs and you send CVs to clients, right? Which is, again, one of the reasons it has such bad reputation because people think the recruiters are ripping them off because they're not conveying actually what they're doing very well. But you need to be very patient with yourself because it does take a while for the penny to drop. There's a lot of moving cogs. And if you've never done sales before, if you're just going straight into recruitment, I was lucky I did sort of three years of sales beforehand, but you're you're learning so many different things. You have to be super organized. You have to know how to prioritize. You have to know how to deal with rejection on a daily basis. So it's a mindset thing as well. You have to be productive because you've constantly got, you know, deadline pressures and then you also have to learn how to speak to people and a lot of people don't know how to speak to people it took me it took me quite a few years to to learn how to effectively to structure conversations properly and handle objections and persuade and influence you know but also ethically and you've got all these things going on that you're never going to learn that like really struggled with organization and that's one of the reasons I failed in my early sales jobs because it's not necessarily because I couldn't sell, but it's because I was not productive at all in mm-hmm. making the sales because my day was all over the place. So be very patient with yourself. Going back to our conversation earlier, you've got to as well in recruitment, be prepared that your first job or maybe even your second job might not be that great because mm-hmm. the barrier to entry is low. and there's so many agencies out there. Sometimes it's really hard to like actually find one that's good. It takes you a couple goes. There's so many different cultures and, and, and environment types. There's like boiler room types, which are like, you know, making a million calls and it's very high pressure and, you know, attracts those type of personalities. And then you've got the far more chilled, relaxed, flexible working types, which mirror more of a like a cool tech startup vibe, right? And they're the more newer ones. A lot of people think of recruitment as like the boiler room KPIs making 150 calls a day. They do exist still, and you might end up at one as your first job, but you need to understand that there are so many cool little tech startup agencies out there, um, and you can find the environment you want nowadays. There's so many different options, but you need to go get some experience first before these people can hire you. So you need to be patient in that regard. Also, personal development, I think, is the main one really like you're going to get like hopefully get training in the agency you work at and you want to like soak that in as much as you can like go speak to the top performers see what they're doing what's that what's their day looking like but you want to focus and try and improve areas outside of the ability to recruit i always look at athletes so 
a top performing athlete, whether we're talking about football or, or whatever, like Cristiano Ronaldo, very famous footballer, even if people don't like football or soccer, as you call it. Um, they, yeah, I was going to say, in the US. Yeah. We so, call that soccer. <laughs> I know we're wrong um, on this one, though. You know, the whole rest of the world does one thing, and here we are. We're like, we're just going to give it a different name. That doesn't make any interesting sense. Interesting fact for you, actually. Do you know what the reason you call it soccer? I don't. And I've played soccer, so I, I don't know. Yeah, I only found this out a few years ago. So it turns out it's actually England's fault. It's not your fault. So basically, um, it was initially called Association Football, right? I don't know why. It just was. And then it was cut down to ASOC football. And then it was cut down to a soccer, I think, or soccer huh. association. And then we sort of ditched that. We just called it football. But then you took that. And we and, went with soccer. Yeah. So it was actually our fault. Like, I think, I think we called it soccer first and then you guys called it soccer and then we called it football. And we're like, why aren't you calling it football? And they're like, well, cause it's called soccer. Damn. We would we have football. And all this so. time I was thinking we were the problem. Okay. That's great. Good to know. No, no, no. <laughs> but okay. I'm sorry. We interrupted your athletes analogy. Yeah. No worries. So basically the, the way to look at it, right, is. It's the same way you look at an athlete. So what makes a top performing athlete? Well, you can split it into three categories. You've got mental, you've got physical, and you've got technical. So you've got your mental resilience, your discipline, you know, your, your enthusiasm, your ability to be positive, to overcome resistance and hurdles, right? And then you've got your physical side of things, which is like, you know, are you sleeping properly? Are you eating correctly? to therefore have the energy to do your job. And then you've got the technical side of things, which is the technical aspect of, of, of your job, i.e., um, you know, doing the actual job, doing the, uh, finding the talent, selling to people, et cetera, the execution of the knowledge, right? And it's the same in any job. But th the way to look at it like that is, so a lot of people, they can sell well and they can do the job, but, and this mm. is this is a, a culture thing in, in recruitment, but there's a very big like alcohol and, and drugs environment and culture in recruitment. Not everywhere. And it, I would definitely say it's, it's dying off, but it still exists. And I think it's more, I don't think it's necessarily recruitment per se. I think it's more of a people who are very young, earning a lot of money young. Um, it's very in similar in other yeah, like investment banking year olds. and finance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Finance bros. Finance bros are a great, great example. Straight out of uni, 21, 22 years old. Yep. Some of them are earning ridiculous amounts of money. Don't know what to do with it. Live with their parents. What are you going to spend it on? Yep. Probably a little bit drugs. of drugs in, in some yep. way, shape or form. So I, I feel like you need to, if you can focus on all three, so get good at recruitment, read sales books, you know, get a mentor or find a mentor online that you follow, like on via content. There's so much out there nowadays. You can basically get like, tens of thousand pounds worth of training for free on tiktok if you if you're smart about it um so get much. good at the actual job but then focus on the physical side try and optimize your physical well-being make sure you're getting your sleep make sure you're not drinking alcohol sort your diet out if you've got any allergies or anything they're affecting your energy levels sort that out focus on the physical side and also the the mental side as well like you know read this there's productivity books but there's also like discipline books you know meditate all that good stuff that you can you can easily find information on nowadays. I loved what you talked about, like mental resilience and having to deal with rejection often. That's a huge skill. That That is a difficult thing to have the motivation to keep going after hearing a lot of no's. So I think that 100% falls into that mental wellness category. 
yeah it, it can be draining as well like this is you know a lot of people the reason a lot of people fall into stuff like alcohol because it's it can be a very emotionally draining job uh and it is very difficult mm. being told no over and over and over again it's you know chasing the failures so you can figure out what's going wrong you need to be able to actively improve those areas of your life whether it's reading books or whatever and that's the advice i would give everyone like don't just turn up nine to five and try be a good recruiter or be good at recruiting because that's only like a third of the puzzle but if you can get decent or good at the other two categories as well that's how you're you're excel and you accelerate your progression in your career I love that. That's a much more holistic view than I think a lot of people take about career success and progression. So thank you for sharing that. That was wonderful. So as we are sort of nearing the end, I have a section called the lightning round, where I'm going to ask you a series of questions. There's just a few. And it's just like simple one word answers, nothing long winded. You just pick this or that. Um, or you give a couple of adjectives. So are you up for the lightning round? Yeah, let's go. Let's just do it. Cool. Okay. So lightning round, question number one. You can use three adjectives to describe yourself at the beginning of your career journey. What would they be? Ambitious, disorganized, anxious. Love it. Passion or paycheck? Paycheck first, then chase your passion. Okay, we'll take it. What's taught you more, your failures or your successes? Failures, easy. Well, we'll leave it there. David, I just want to say thank you so much for coming to talk all about your career journey through some very winding parts of your life and um, giving a bit of insight into what the recruiting industry is like and sort of busting some of the preconceived notions or some of the myths um, about the people in the industry. This has been a really great chat. I've, I've enjoyed it very much. So how can people find you? Tell people where to sort of look for you, what you're all about. Yeah, there's a few ways you can find me. So LinkedIn is probably the easiest. And through LinkedIn, you can find all my other stuff. You can find my podcast through there. You can find my YouTube and TikTok and everything else. Just David Rolls on LinkedIn. Yeah, I'm sure you can put the link up and they can click it. So. <laughs> Awesome. Thank you again, David. It's been a great chat and really glad that we were able to make this happen. Yeah, it's awesome though. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you so much for listening to Professional Life Crisis. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave it a five-star review on Apple or Spotify and share it with a friend who works in recruiting or maybe is interested in getting into the recruiting industry. Subscribe to our Substack newsletter for podcast recaps, interactive polls, and more. Next week's episode is everything, okay, almost everything I learned from working at a startup. If you've ever wanted to know what it's like working at a five-person company, I'll be talking all about how it was different from my corporate job and the things that I learned. I hope I'll see you in the next episode. Cheers.